So this morning, we are continuing on in a series called The Art of Neighboring. And what we've been wrestling with is that during this Christmas season, we talk about anticipating and waiting for God to show up in new ways. Just like Kurt said, God's people waited for many centuries for God to reveal himself. They didn't know how God was going to show up. It was a surprise that Jesus arrived in a manger. And we're praying this year, not knowing what lies ahead, what lies ahead for 2021, just like we had no idea what would happen in 2020. We're praying for God to show up and work. And one of the ways that we're claiming and reminding ourselves of us uh, ourselves of is that God calls us to live out our faith with our neighbors, right? Jesus in Luke 10, the message I preached two weeks ago, says Jesus, uh, someone asked Jesus, what's the great commandment? It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And a second is like it, love the neighbor as yourself. And we've been unpacking this idea of what does it mean to be a good neighbor? We've been reflecting on this idea of the art of neighboring, saying that most of us, we get the idea that we're caring for our neighbor in India when we support missions and ministries. We get that we care for missions and ministries around our community that help people. But one of the things that God has been revealing to me, and I hope to you, is that sometimes we have a blind spot to those closest to us in our communities. And I've been challenging you, and Greg challenged you last week to pull out this map, to download it from our website, or make one a tic-tac-toe board on your own, and put your own self in the middle of the tic-tac-toe board, and to write down the neighbors around you, just to start to get an awareness and to be praying for, who is it that lives closest to me? I'm still learning. I know four or five of my neighbors well, and there's a couple on my street that we live on, on 104th, just north of here, that I just haven't had a chance to meet yet. I've lived there for 12, 13 years and still have not run into some of them. When I preached two weeks ago, somebody emailed me from around the corner and said, hey, we're your neighbors. I was like, yes, this is cool. So I want you to do, really do this and tack it up somewhere on your, on your refrigerator or on your mirror, in your, wherever you want. Somewhere you're going to see it. And today, our prayer for this whole thing is that our neighbors are more than just names, but they're more than just theoretical neighbors, but they're like people that we actually know and pray for and have genuine relationship with. Because I don't know about you, I don't want to have a blind spot for my closest neighbors. This morning, we're going to turn in God's Word to 1 Peter chapter 3. And Peter talks about in that chapter and in that book about how followers of Jesus are supposed to live in difficult times. And I realize this is a difficult time with our COVID pandemic and with the challenges and the confusion of COVID it's made all of us rather tentative and pull back and afraid and how are we supposed to interact with our neighbors. Maybe caring for neighbors is pulling back from them. But what I'm gonna invite us to this morning is to think creatively about what it means because I believe at this time, more than ever, we need to think about what it means to be 
neighbors, to those closest to us and those in our circles that we travel at work, at school, wherever that be, may be. So hear this word this morning, and Peter's trying to guide us and just say this. This is how you're supposed to relate to one another as a Christian community, but also this is how you're supposed to relate to the outside world that sometimes is indifferent or even hostile to those who are followers of Jesus. So hear the word of the Lord this morning. Starting in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, says, Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because of this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you may unpack this word, that the message that you have laid on my heart may be your words, and that it may speak to the hearts of those who hear it, gathered here and scattered wherever we are connected by technology. And Lord, pray that you would give us a vision of how to respond to your word this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the realities of our world today is that fear is very real. It's one of the most crippling things that we can deal with in life. We live in a culture of fear fueled by 24-hour news, constant news of violence and bad things happening, and social media. And one of the primary obstacles to what I'm talking about this morning, this art of neighboring, is fear. Being afraid of the unknown. You know, it's fear that keeps us from knowing our neighbors. It's fear the constant media subconsciously makes us scared and causes us to assume the worst about people. It holds us back from making certain decisions, keeps us from engaging others, and it stunts our spiritual growth. One of the challenges for me, and maybe it's a challenge for you, is I love to serve soup or go build houses or give clothes or food, but then oftentimes I return to my home and we can look at those closest to us and our neighbors, not all, but it can be scary because our neighbors are always there. So if we open the door with them, they're always there. 
Our neighbors can sometimes be scary. But our call, as it says in the Word today, is to finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. That's God's call for us to live with our fellow Christians, but also with those around us. And if we're going to neighbor well, we have to claim God's power and wrestle with our fears. We have to challenge that fear and the worry that can come with meeting new people and say, God, I want you to give me the strength to take that on. And I want you to hear me this morning. I am not asking anyone to blindly jump in to the lives of your neighbors because there are some dangerous people and some unhealthy people. You have to use your wisdom. But you know what? There are some evil people out there, but not as many as you and I think or the media would make us believe. Some of you may be concerned for your personal safety. Maybe you live alone, or maybe you're just sort of scared of bad people. And I want you to use wisdom. Maybe as I talk to you about, what does it look like for you to engage those people who are closest to you in the circles you travel or in the literal neighbors that you encounter? Maybe you need to partner with another Christian, another neighbor, another Christian neighbor, and just say, what would it look like for us to have an idea that we are sent to this area? God has a reason why we live. Because here's, the, here's where the rubber hits the road. If Jesus has called us to love and serve our neighbors, to love our neighbors as ourselves, then we have to claim God's strength to love and engage them, believing that he will be with us, that he will be Emmanuel, God with us, and that he will help us conquer our fears. It says this in Romans 15 too. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good and build him up. One of our calls is to encourage and equip and help our neighbors. So the idea this morning is, what does it look like for you to be not in a posture of fear, but be open to new people, to listen to their stories, to their experiences, to think, think of that scary neighbor, right? There's easy neighbors that you have affinity with, and then there's ones that maybe are less open, How would it be different if you didn't just say, well, I don't know about them, I, their yard's a little messy, or I see crazy stuff happening down there, which just seems chaotic. How would it be different if you knew their story? Because for most of us, if we know someone's story, we have more mercy when we understand what they're going through. It's the unknown that leads us to assumptions and leads us to keep our distance from those around us. That can happen in your neighborhood, at work, wherever. So first, I'm just calling us to challenge our fears, to confront them with prayer and with wisdom. Second is to remain, this may sound weird. Hey, I want you to be really good neighbors, to be the best neighbors you can be. You know how you become a good neighbor? You have good boundaries. That sounds weird, doesn't it? But you know what's repeatedly shown up in our training with staff and with consistory, elders and deacons, is, hey, you know, if I really engage my neighbors, I'm gonna get in over my head. I'm gonna encounter somebody who's got too much need for me, and I don't wanna get in over my head. Or I'm gonna never be off the clock. I wanna come home and I wanna rest. The rem remedy to those fears is to have good boundaries. You know, Jesus, 
was interruptible. Doug last week talked about the idea that hurry is a great enemy of caring for those around us. And so he said Jesus was an incredible model, a perfect model of being, of living an interruptible and available life. Doug said this line, I, I just remember, he says, God literally made time for us. God created time so that we could use it to be in relationship with him and relationship with one another. But Jesus lived an interruptible life, but one thing that was non-negotiable for him was that his time with his father was sacred. He would pull away from the crowds, pull away from his disciples, and spend time alone. Jesus knew what it was like to have good boundaries, even though he was incredibly caring and was willing to enter into difficult situations. You know, when I encounter people, it's my goal to help them move and grow and be encouraged and encounter Jesus. Not always actively. I'm just trying to bless and care and encourage people when I meet them. I'm not always good at it. But let me give you some wisdom about what a good boundary means. A good boundary means is that, I think there's a slide if it's working, it says, is our goal is to be caring to a person, not responsible for a person. And let me explain that. Being responsible to a person is healthy. Means our responsibility is to love them, to encourage them, to bless them, to pray for them, to serve them, to help them, whatever that means. But being responsible for someone is unhealthy. When we mistakenly take responsibility for someone for their well-being or for their finances or for their happiness or for, for their success and failure, for their spiritual progress, then we're stepping in over a boundary. My focus and my focus for us today is to say, what does it mean for us to just walk alongside people who are in need and help them find their way? It's our goal with good boundaries is to help people get back in charge of their own lives and not just to rescue them. You remember the Good Samaritan story I told? The Good Samaritan engaged with the man who'd been beaten on the road and he helped him, he cleaned his wounds, he put him on his donkey, he took him to a place where he could get care and rest, gave money to help, all those things. Incredibly risky, inconvenient, time-consuming kind of behavior. But you know what it says in the story? That the Good Samaritan went on his way, continued on his trip. That's a good boundary. So for us, my prayer is to say, what does it look like for you to have good boundaries, to enter in with a willingness to serve and a willingness to do things, but to show care with good boundaries? Another fear that often pops up when we've been talking about this idea, the art of neighboring with those closest to us, is that if I meet them, it'll be awkward. I won't know what to say. One thing you might be able to do is just go to your neighbors that you don't know, introduce yourself and say, you know, is there any way I can pray for you? Or just, it's good to know you. You see, this whole art of neighboring isn't a program. It isn't a bait and switch that at some point you're going to have to do some aggressive evangelism or anything like that. It's literally just seeking the good of our neighborhoods the good of our community, the good of those you live around, whether you live in an apartment, a retirement community, whether you live 
out in the country where it's a little more distant or in a subdivision, our goal is just to have a healthy, connected community. We're more connected than ever with our technology, but sometimes we're less connected with those near us. Hear this word from 1 from Peter 3.15. It says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Many people don't share their story because it never comes up or they don't know where to start. Or they're afraid they won't have all the right answers. What's different about you, each of us, is that each of us has had a unique encounter with Christ. Maybe you were distant and God found you through some people or some, some circumstances and your life has completely changed. You've been set free, you've been transformed. I don't know. Or maybe you've grown up in the church your whole life and God has preserved and protected and your growth and understanding of Christ has happened throughout your life and you can't remember a time apart from him and you can celebrate the fact that God has had a preserving, caring hand in your life for all the days of your life. All you need to do to be prepared to share the hope that you have is talk about how is your life different because of Jesus. And sometimes our fear comes in engaging and talking with others is that maybe we're just too focused on sharing and maybe we need to do a little more listening to maybe if we just ask them about their story, their journey, and they're likely to tell us. And if we're safe with our neighbors, they're also likely to ask us about our story. And that might be a reason and an ability for you to share the hope that you have. Let me share with this story about a man named Dennis. Dennis, in his neighborhood, they did some things to engage. They did an outdoor barbecue. They did some things in their front yard instead of their backyard so they could get to know their neighbors. And this is what he says. One item that has just taken off that has been our, our next door neighbor's husband passed away 14 months ago. And each neighbor has taken turns snow shoveling, doing snow shoveling and yard cleanup. It has come to the point that each neighbor not only will shovel the widow's walk, but will shovel numerous houses. Sounds good. It seems that the first man that is up after a snowstorm just goes out and does it. No one leaves a note saying, I did your walks today. They all just do it. It's been really fantastic times to come home and your walks are already done. But my neighbors can say the same thing. I know that this is just a small example of what it really means and getting down and involved. It takes willingness to make that first contact. No one pushes faith, but if the door's open, I'll be the first one to engage and explain this is how Christ has chosen me to work in my life and to serve others by being a servant. Isn't that cool? So here's where I want to lead us. We've been challenging all these fears that we have. I'm going to get in over my head. I'm not going to know what to say. They're just scary people. Here's what I want you to hear. Small things matter. It says in the book, The Art of Neighboring, Jay Patak says this. He says, fear has a way of distorting our perspective. When we are afraid of others, we think of ourselves as less important and less powerful. I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to say, what can I do? I'm already busy. What's that little amount of time I'm going to give? What difference can it really make? And it reminds me of this encounter that Jesus had in John 6. See, Jesus was teaching, and there were 5,000 men gathered. They were out there, away from town, 
out in the country of Galilee. And there's this overwhelming need. They're all hungry. 5,000 men and more with their families and wives and children. And they're like, what do we do? We got to send them away. We can't handle this need. And a little boy shows up with five loaves and two fish. And the disciples, some of them look at him, and Philip and Andrew are like, all right, Jesus, here's this little boy with five loaves and two fish, but what good is that? And we can have that same kind of attitude with the needs that we encounter with those closest to us. What good is that? That's not going to make any difference. We can all tend to be realists or even pessimists. But my challenge to you and to me is to go from a what good is that to a here's what I have perspective. Because here's the truth. When you give away what you have, God will give you more to give. See, Jesus saw the boy and he didn't go, oh, it's only five loaves and two fish. He gave thanks for what was given with an expectant heart and then see what God will do. So that's why I don't challenge us. No matter what age you are as you're hearing this, think of this. Bring what you have and see what God will do. We always know what we don't have, but why don't you give thanks for the Lord what you do have and offer that and see what God might do and watch the Lord go to work. You see, after Jesus and the disciples started passing out the bread, after it was all done, miraculously, bread was multiplied and there was 12 basketfuls left over. There was an abundance left over. And I'm learning, I'm learning that we cannot live with a limited mindset with a God of abundance. God has so freely provided for so many of us. God has given us more than we could ever ask or imagine. And so this morning, I want you to sort of go to the Lord with this mindset. I'm bringing you what I have. Lord, I want to see what you can do. So what does it look like for you to say, Father, who do you want me to see in my circle, in my neighborhood? And what do you want me to do? The hard part is to respond. I want you to just take that Nike attitude and say, just do it. To actually respond and not overanalyze, not self-doubt, not hide in fear. God can take our small acts of obedience and accomplish much more than we ask or imagine. I don't know what your five loaves and two fish are. Maybe you're really good at cooking and baking and you can use that. Or you're good at sports. Maybe you're good at grilling out. Maybe you're good at watching sports and you can just include people in something you already do alone anyway. I know it's COVID time, so you have to be wise. All those different things. Be creative with all these different things. Maybe you can tutor a child or invite someone in to share in a hobby that you already do. But take some baby steps and say, hey, what does it look like for me to enter in with what I have? If you want to hear this story about a man named Rob, Rob found in the garbage in his neighborhood at one of those little tykes, four by four Jeep things. You know, the kids drive when they're two to three, four years old. And he sort of fixed it up. He realized that his neighbor kid had one too. And so he fixed it up and they, he started engaging with his neighbor and they were having a little race in their cul-de-sac. And while this race was going on, this sort of became a bigger thing than it was. And they had a ton of fun and the other neighbors came out and it sort of became this little Indy 500, little tykes race. 
And, and this became really cool, and everyone talked about it after it happened, like, ah, oh, that was so awesome. And this is what he said in reflection. He said, how little it takes to make a lifelong memory. I don't know what you have, but can you offer it and see what God might do? Because I don't know about you, hope, grace, and love are sorely needed right now. All of us are tired. All of us are tired of COVID and all of its effects and all of its ravages, whether that be the literal disease or the prevention of the disease or dealing with the disease or responding to disease or its effect on our schools and our businesses. And you know what? These are dark days at times. Literally the darkest days of the year. We need to be people who are lighting a light in our community. So what is it for you to respond to a nudge? Maybe you'll be nudged to serve somebody. Maybe you'll be nudged to encourage somebody, to share your faith with somebody, to ask them how to pray for them, to give something away. You don't need a master plan. You just have to see people like Jesus does and pray, God, use me. You are on the street you live. You are in the work you do. You are in the apartment building, wherever you are, for a reason. Will you embrace the challenge and call of Christmas to be open to make a difference, to get out of your comfort zone, to risk your plans, your comfort, your time. Because you know what? At its core, loving your neighbor, love initiates and love risks. My challenge for you as I conclude is will you find one person who is very different from you and find a way to encourage and bless them. All of us have more than enough evidence and how God has been faithful to us. And I believe from that evidence of God's faithfulness and his care and his extravagant love, it calls us to respond. Let me read this poem to you from a book called Holy Sweat, which I encountered in college by Tim Hansel. And this poem has stuck with me forever, so I'm gonna read it as our final thing today. It says, God uses what you have to fill a need that you never could have filled. God uses where you are to take you where you never could have gone. God uses what you can do to accomplish what you never could have done. And God uses who you are to let you become who you never could have been. I pray that you go with that. Here's what I have. Lord, let me see what you can do attitude. I'll go to the Lord and say, Lord, who do you want me to see? And what do you want me to do? Let us pray. Lord, there are so many ways that we can claim your faithfulness to us in good times and in challenging times. And for each of us today, I pray that we would challenge the fear and that we would see ourselves as sent ones to those around us, our families, our neighbors, and those circles we travel. Lord, we love you, and I pray that we'd have the courage to live out the same spirit of Christmas that we celebrate every year with the literal people that we know. We pray it through the Spirit, to the glory of the God, God the Father, and in the name of Jesus. Amen.